You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, welcome to Matt Meets the Music Industry. I'm here today with Tim Borer. Uh, the one and only uh, agent over at Sound Talent Group. One of the, are you are you the biggest metal agency in the U.S.? You're one of the biggest at this point, right? I, I, we we have a we have a big chunk of real estate. I, I I don't I don't know how it totally compares even against some others, but we have a big chunk of the real estate. Yeah, yeah, which is in and of itself kind of crazy to think about. Uh, yeah, man. Well, it's a lot of years invested uh, in, in, into that world and, you know, in that lifestyle and working with these bands to have that real estate. But uh, yeah, we're proud of it. Yeah. At what point did you realize like, oh shit, we have a bunch of stuff locked down. Like at what point did it go from like, oh, I booked these bands to, oh, this is a real thing. Um. I don't, that's a great question, man. Um, you know, I started doing this relatively young into my adult life, um, early twenties, maybe even mm-hmm. yeah, early twenties, 20, 19 or 20 years old, I think is when I really got started. And I'd been, you know, part of the East coast hardcore world and the punk scene and the metal scene growing what? up as a kid. What Before era that. of that scene, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, yeah, late mid '80s through okay. all the '90s into the 2000s. Um, okay, I rode so you... that that wave that whole time. Sure. Um, and you know, so you know, when I first got into to to you know the booking world into being an agent, uh, it was really just an extension of who I was as a person and over the years as I really kind of learned the craft of, of, of being an agent, um, I was able to develop, you know, I, before I finish that sentence, you know, I've been lucky to be involved on the, the, the touring side, on the booking side with a lot of genres of music and a lot of, you know, great bands of all different kinds. And it wasn't just stuff from, from my world, but in doing that work for this, you know, greater spectrum of business, I, I was able to really learn how to develop the artists that I was passionate about. Yeah. And the whole thing grew. And, um, you know, I, I, I took over a company. We made a deal somewhere in the late 90s or early 2000s. I'm not exactly sure where it was. Uh, where we started, where we took over a, a pre-established booking agency that was already doing really well, uh, called Rave Booking, um, and it was a, a an agency in in you know in the metal and punk and hardcore world. And uh, I took that business over 
Uh, we made a deal with those guys, uh, with um, Kevin Wardis, who was who, that's whose company it was, and Matt from Relapse, um, and my partners Vaughn Lewis and Kenny Gabor, who are the managers yeah. now for for Kill Switch Engage and you know Light the Torch, the Contortionist. You know, you know they. Yeah. I, I we were business partners back then, totally. and um, love Vaughn. Yeah, at the time we were managing Hatebreed and H2O and the Lords of Brooklyn. And I had already been an agent before we started that management company um, for a number of years at a company called Artist and Audience. And um, we decided we could add the booking stuff to the management side. Um, And during that era of rave, I think is where a lot of stuff really clicked for us. And clicked for me personally because um, I was outside of, you know, the broader spectrum of the music business and more focused just on the genre. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a pretty good, you know, knowledge of wealth, you know, wealth of knowledge to, uh, you know, apply to these bands that really needed somebody to give a shit and do a good job and know how to develop artists into being headliners. And we did that with a number of things. And that was really where you saw a lot of the bands from Europe, from the Swedish metal scene um, and the black, the bands that kind of became, you know, bigger bands from the black metal world, uh, whether it was Dimmu, whether it was Cradle of Filth, um, you know, a number of others. Those are just two that come off the top of my head or whether it's bands more just on like the Swedish thrash side of like in flames and the haunted and those bands. And then eventually, you know, that kind of spawned like the start of Lamb of God and kill switch and unearth and those bands. And, you know, all the while I was still booking bands like earth crisis and Madball and crow bags and, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and we really just got a bunch of momentum and that really you know along with a bunch of other stuff that i'm involved with on the, on the music side that stuff really kind of rolled and is still rolling today so you know it, i guess that is that era is when i realized that there was a a real business here where i was able to make a positive difference into you know music and a lifestyle that i loved you know that's interesting so so really it took it took like 15 years of being active in the scene before it started to like really turn into something. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, let's keep in perspective as, you yeah. know, if I'm, if I'm 1986 and 1987 and getting into punk rock and metal and hardcore, I'm a kid. Yeah. 13, 14, 15 years old in that totally. time frame, And, you know, I didn't really start to take this seriously as something to do professionally. Um, until I was 20 or 21. And yeah, I think it probably took every bit of 10 years to go from saying I'm a booking agent to really knowing what I'm, I'm doing at a high level and being able to really apply the knowledge that I have to really make a difference for all of my clients and not just be a lucky with a few of them. And I look, that's not to say that I wasn't having some success and, and, and having um, a good career, you know, mm-hmm. through, through that era of uh, leading up to that. But I think that's really where it was. I, I, 
I realized that I, I could be a leader in a certain regard and, and pull my weight to make a difference for artists to help them have bigger moments for themselves, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which is a really cool thing to be able to do. You know, I think there's, there's few things better when someone you really respect, you know, hits you up and is like, Hey, thank you for not screwing that up and for getting me somewhere. Yeah. Well, look, and you know, that, I'm grateful uh, moments as well, but you don't always get them because frankly, you know, um, you know, not to, to spin it in, in some other way, but I don't know that I'm owed a thank you for just being a good professional and doing my job. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, 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 it's just expected. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to do that, um, in my life. And, um, I've cared enough about what I do and how I represent myself and how I represent the artists that I'm involved with to, to do a good job. And, um, I don't know that it's more than that. You know, I think, totally. I think I took, I I've, I've taken, you know, good ethics and morals as a baseline and learned how to do a job and spun that into something that's done right and done well and with a purpose. And, um, I try to not make it a whole lot more complicated than that. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds pretty reasonable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sometimes when I look around me and other people and they're making it much more complicated. So like, let's talk about this though, because you know, um, and this is something I've sort of explored at length with um, our mutual friend, Nate Carson. And we've talked a lot about like, okay, how do we both evaluate the value of a band? And then how do we amplify that value over the course of three tours, four tours, what, how, or whatever, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. or if you want to use, you know, two, three years, whatever time metric. Yep, sure. So how do you do those? That's kind of a two-part question. How do you find the value of what a band is worth when they come to you? Like really, not what they're asking for. And then how do you turn that into something greater? Assuming they have a good product in terms of live show and music. I think I'll, I'll, I'll boil it down first and then try and put a little more like detail behind mm -hmm. it. But, you know, I, I have to love it. And the band has to be really great. That has to be something that they possess. Um, and, you know, you, you have to know that fans in some way are already like having a pretty good reaction to what, what's happening. Um, you know, back when I started and for most of the time frame that I've been doing this, that was the proof was in the pudding of, how did, how did their recording sound and what did their shows look like? And now, you know, there's a lot more, you know, metrics and, and data that you can put with those two things from, a, you know, social media and, you know, uh, streaming kind of those, those analytics you can apply to those two things as well now. Um, but those things have to be going for it. And then you have to have really kind of a, you have to have a vision for 
what this band might be able to ultimately accomplish. And you have to be able to see what the pathway kind of in theory looks like to get there. And, and then you have to build the, the steps for that to happen. Right. So, you know, that's, that's a little abstract in a certain way, but that's how my brain always looks at, at things when, when, when artists come to me early and they're at that kind of artist development stage, um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe they're already a pretty well-known established headliner and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, how can I still grow it to be bigger? Or yeah. in some instances, how can I make sure that I can help sustain this business for, you know, a bunch of years to come. And, and some of those things I think about, how am I going to support a a developing artist apply to those, to those mid-level clients that still have higher gears to hit or, you know, established bands that are already headliners at a certain level and are trying to see if they can still hit another threshold and then sustain a business. It's still a lot of those same things that I have to kind of try and have a vision for. And, you know, it's, it's all about what are the building blocks? You know, this step, this, this next step you take has to happen with the purpose of yielding a certain result so that you can hit that next step to kind of do the same thing. Um, And, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's the most basic thing. Like, we just need a tour to have this band get in front of 150 people a night so sure. so that they can prove that they can shine. And that will be enough of accomplishment for the story to start to be told, which will ultimately open up another door. And yeah. that another door that, that... But you have to know what those doors need to look like. And you need to know when you are going to push harder and hit certain switches for that, for certain triggers to happen with an artist with certain milestones to be able to flip up to the next level as a headliner, to be able to be worth that next amount of money, to be able to charge fans a little extra without having fans gouge, to make sure that you don't overplay markets, but play enough that you really made fans and that the fans have ownership of the band that, 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 you know, you may not want to play LA five times in a year once a band is already established, but you might need to, to get them established and understanding what that nuance is. is sometimes a bit of like an intangible and a magic trick and, you know, um, a bit of a touch, you know, when you reference triggers to kind of get them to the next level, what does that sort of look like to you? Like, is it, is it, yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what are those triggers sort of like in your head? Well, because I, I know what you're talking about, but I kind of want to hear you. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes I say things and then I'm like, Oh fuck, I have to explain this now. Um, <laughs> well, like, so, hopefully I won't fumble too much to get there, but you know, look, I think it's, it can be simple and it can be complicated and on the simple side you know, like getting that band the first tour and hopefully it was the right first look that they're connecting in the right way. And, and, um, 
you know, seeing them win over audiences, right? Like it's, it's, it's that simple. Like did, did, and, and this could be, you know, a band that's on their first tour or it could be a band that's, you know, on an opening slot on an amphitheater tour for the first time. It, it, the, the same simplicity of it is going to matter. Did, how did we connect? Did we sell some merch tonight? Did we compete at uh, a presentation level and an impact level with the other bands that we played with? Like, cause some bands are just, you know, they're out there and, and it's the first time they're experiencing a moment. And yeah. sometimes they'll fumble a little bit, but that doesn't mean they're shot. Right. That means sure. that, that, okay, that didn't happen tonight, but 10 days into the tour, it's going to click because they'll be past that anxiety and they'll be past, they'll, they'll have learned what the band that's already figured it out. That's playing two bands after them already knows. And you'll yeah, see totally. that fire, you know what I mean? You'll see it catch up with itself. And when you see that happen enough in its own way, um, and I'm trying to be as simple about this as possible, sure. but you'll, like, okay, you'll notice this band's no longer worth $250 a night. Now they're worth $1,000 yeah. a night. No, this band's no longer worth $10,000 a night. This band is now, they picked up enough fans from being in these scenarios that they're in that, you know, they don't need to charge $20 a ticket anymore. They can charge 39 to 50 and they can make 40 grand a show, whatever, whatever it yeah. is, you know, it's like they're, they're, there's there's those moments where it's where it's painfully obvious you're the second band on on a show and you sold more merch that night than everybody else that's on the bill and you did that for the next 10 days on tour like that's yeah that's a moment that's a trigger that's a that's a reason to force it into another gear you know and sometimes these moments aren't as obvious to others you know, around some of these bands as they need to be with the immediate, uh, you know, people steering the ship around it, you know, yeah. in other words, you know, the business at large may not notice that X band is killing it as hard as they are and they're not being offered the right opportunity. So in those situations, there's another trigger you got to hit. You got to go put this band out where the spotlight's out on them and, their headlining shows and that you're telling a particular narrative to the business in that way. Yeah. You're playing shows to your fans. That's the most important thing. You're playing them sh those shows in an atmosphere that's right for the fans that feels good to the bands and the fans in the moment they're having together at the right ticket prices in the right venues with the right package. But that's also telling the story to the business we we are we are existing at this level now pay attention to what we're doing and yeah. you now have a narrative that you can take that's going to sell other people that there's a value here that can't be ignored that's going to open new doors so that makes sense that's really well said yeah that was like a master class right there <laughs> fair um, enough and i'm going to like It's funny because that's something that that what you just said right there, where it's sort of like trying to explain to people, trying to build it to tell the story of like, oh, no, this band is here now. 
you know, that's been the last four months of my life really grinding this uh, Capra release we did on Blacklight, the Metal Blade subsidiary I do. Okay, yeah, sure. And it's like, oh, okay, like this is, you know, now we've got tours happening. Let's, you know, and I think to what I'm sort of curious about, and I've seen it go both ways where like, I've seen bands sort of reach that next step just by playing the right festival, not even getting on the right tour, but it was just like, you know, Roadburn is the obvious example, although plenty of bands play Roadburn and then you never hear from them again. Um, But, you know, you definitely see that happen. When do you start to think a band is ready to like go be put on Rock on the Range and play to 10,000 people and show everyone, oh, look, we're for real now? Yeah, well, and sometimes you have to kick and scream a little bit for those promoters to pay attention in those situations. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you, you, you know, you invite them to shows. You, you, you give uh, them all. What makes a band worth kicking and screaming for? Is my question. Like, like at what point I, are I you mean, like, okay, we're gonna really like dial in on Danny Wimber and be like, you know, we need this band on Rock on the Range, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of intangibles to that question too, because that sure, you know, it, it's it's certainly been, and I, I you know, I'll, I'll try and give you some of the intangibles, but it's certainly been for me at moments where I'm just hell bent on a band, and they might not even sure. really be ready, but I know that they will be ready, and you know, I I I need that attention on that artist then, and then there's other scenarios where. You know, maybe I've had that passion, but they haven't shared it. And we've had to build some building blocks um, and then, you know, say, look, you know, did you pay attention to the last year's worth of work that we did to now have you, you know, give this maybe more attention than you thought you were ready to give it? It's, it's ready now. And, you know, uh, it, there's a, and you're right, like the, uh, sometimes that single moment at a festival will change the trajectory, you know, of a band. And, and I've, I've had several bands in that moment. And sometimes it's more subtle too. Like, yeah, they, they killed the, the, the festival that weekend. Maybe they had, you know, one of the top three sets of, uh, of the weekend, um, you know, but it kind of subtly impacts, you know, the scale of the band moving forward over the next two years. And it's not like it went from zero to 60, but maybe it went from, you know, zero to, to, to 30 or whatever. And yeah, you know, but that could still, depending on what kind of artist you're, you're, you're working with, you know, those are the, there are those bands that blow up really fast and kind of, you know, don't stick around as long. And there are those bands that have a slower burn and stick around for a lot longer. And I'm not really answering your question because I, I I don't know that there's a good answer to that question. I don't sure. I don't know that there's that there's like at this moment that's when. Like I think that that moment exists for for a lot of bands. Sometimes you just know it doesn't matter how much I care about this band right now. They're not going to care. It's not at that level yet. That's I, not yeah. where my energy needs to go 
with this band right now to get them up the mountain. We have, yeah. we have six other steps that we got to put our focus on and, and then this will come to us and we won't even have to ask for it, you know, and there's often that's, that's, that's the path as often as it is as kicking and screaming that I want it and I need it now. And, and a lot of times it's not just demanding, it's, it's asking, Hey, can you help me with this? This is, this is going to be one of the bands that's going to be a future headliner of this festival. Give us a hand getting there. And, you know, thankfully a lot of the, the festival promoters, DWP being one of them, you know, they're often very responsive to that. I mean, and that's, that's from a lot of years of trust, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. and that's part of it too. It's, you know, we, we've had success developing artists through, through these events over the years. So a lot of times they can respond to this is one to take, take seriously now, you know, and, and it's not fair to abuse that relationship either. So, I agree. Yeah. you know, so it's, it's, it, it's a good give and take in that way in terms of, you know, when are we going to flex, you know, that muscle to try and, to force something on it's got to be the right time the band has to be ready for that moment too you put a band on a festival where you know you talk about a moment where a band's on a festival and they kill it okay that's great but there's also moments where you know if the band's faced with that moment sooner than they're ready to own it it's not you're, you're putting the band a step back now instead of a step forward yeah totally absolutely and I think that's because I feel like so often it'll just be like, you know, so often it's the right label guy or the right manager is side stage and is like, oh, okay, this is tight. And that kind of can trigger something. Say, say least, that again. I'm not sure. I'm not, oh, I'm no, not sorry. Sure I'm saying at least in, on, on, from a festival perspective, but also a tour perspective, sometimes it's just the right label guy or the right manager being like, oh yeah, this is sick because they were there and giving bands opportunities to be there, I think is kind of important, you know, to get in front 100%. of the right eyes. Yeah. Look, a lot of times this stuff happens because the right politics are in place, you know, the right people are talking to the right people and people are trusting each other and people want to see each other win. And they give the artists that they're invested in, those opportunities um and that can be a huge lesson there to what extent do you think about that when you're booking a, a tour or something like do you or like do you actively think like oh we need to make sure that they play this venue because i really 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 want so and so to see them yeah that i mean often that's that's a component you know okay. i mean that that doesn't that's not true of every single date that's booked of course that that that's true of a lot of dates particularly look you know when you play certain cities there's more of us in certain cities than there are in others you know when you you know when, when you play new york and la when you play you know the top 10 major markets when you play toronto you know those moments really matter in terms of what the look is you know you, you playing the right building at the right time, you know, to, 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 to have all eyes on 
that artist at that time to make a step. That's, that's all part of it. It goes back to, you know, hitting those switches and, and, and triggers at the right time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, I think you captured that pretty well. Um, just as we head towards the end, um, you know, you've recently been part of starting this podcast network, um, Sound Talent Media, and you've got some pretty big players involved and are kind enough to host this podcast. Um, how has that kind, kind of interacted with your booking stuff and how does that feel? Well, um, like and, and, as, as a new project, considering that's kind of different from what you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the last year, and uh, excuse me for a second, because I'm trying to make sure my phone doesn't die while we're talking. So you're good. Batteries is running live. So, um, you know, the last year obviously has been slow for touring. In fact, it's been non-existent, as everybody knows. So, um, that left me and my partners with a lot of extra time to think about what we wanted to do with that time that we all of a sudden had. Um, there was no saving the touring business last year. There was, it was going to be on pause. It was going to sit idle. Um, you know, and I think we're, we're, we're well-rounded people. We're smart people. We're entrepreneurial. Um, there were other things that we had discussed when we started sound talent group agency that we would want to do in the future. Um, the record label that we've since started um, as a result of, of the pandemic velocity records was something we were going to do no matter what. It was something that my partner, Dave Shapiro um, had already previously done and had a bunch of success with. He knew how to do. Um, we were going to get there regardless um, mm -hmm. whether or not it would have happened on the timetable that ended up happening where we were able to launch in December, you know, with over a dozen artists and we're going to have, you know, a really big debut year. I don't, I don't know that it would happen as fast and at the scale that it has um, unless we'd had the pandemic, but um, we were fortunate that we had the time to do that. And the same goes for the podcast, um, you know, network with sound talent media. Um, we had kind of loosely discussed, that we felt like, you know, the podcast space was going to be, you know, um, and I don't think we're, we're geniuses for, th for, thinking, for thinking this, but we, we knew that it was going to be a growing space. Um, and we talked about, man, we, we'd like to be in that space. And now, you know, come April 2020, all of a sudden we had a lot more time to think about what that meant. Okay, you know, we have this time now what does what what does the future of podcasting look like and and how can we make an impact and you know the truth is we have a lot of relationships with you know either people that were doing podcasts or uh people that would be great at doing podcasts um and and we saw that because everyone else had so much free time that so many people were kind of doing podcasts, but they were kind of doing them, you know, rogue. They were doing a very independent, yeah. very DIY. There was no, there was no way for 
anyone to easily get a leg up kind sure. of starting from scratch with a smaller like listenership like pool and yeah. you know we saw the opportunity to help a lot of these great podcasters um find some connection between each other uh be able to have more strength leveraging um you know distribution if they came in together and we were able to kind of put together a lane to put together this network to you know put a bunch of, of great podcasts together and and give everyone a, a louder voice and a bigger platform and um by no means do did we start this as complete experts in this space i think we had a little more than a clue and maybe a little more of a a vision for for than maybe some some other people wanted to be in this space and we've been able to use whatever success we've all collectively had together. And I mean, us with the podcasters to continue to learn quickly uh, and continue and continue to, to grow this whole thing quickly. And it's been awesome to, you know, <laughs> be experts at, at, at booking tours and learn how to hopefully be experts in the podcast space through the extra time and you know as we now you know and to kind of get back to your question you know now we're back into like the tenfold of of booking tours like there's not enough time in the day to get all the shit done and um but that's what running a business and developing a business and involving a business is and look it's no difference than developing a band like you you hit you hit you as a as a as a band you're you hit moments where you have to grow where where those switches need to get hit and and we're kind of there with the podcast as many of the with the podcast network just like some of the podcasters are with with their shows like we have to keep pushing this now we have to you know we have to be armed to manage the growth so that's kind of the moment we're in right now and it's it's exciting absolutely Thank you very much for all of this insight. It's been incredibly valuable. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was good to hang with you and good to talk with you, Simon. Absolutely. This has been Matt's Meets the Music Industry. Thank you so much. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.